This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hi, I'm Jay, head of growth here at Trend. I'm here joined by Ramon, CEO of Trend, and we're here to talk about KOLs and their role in influencer marketing. Thanks for having me, Jay. I'm excited to record this podcast. I was actually just thinking on the way here, KOLs. What are what are some examples of of KOLs? And first of all, I think we should start with uh, breaking down what exactly is a KOL. But ironically, you know, we are recording this on MLK Day, so uh, MLK is uh, quite a KOL in the in the politics and in human rights space. So not many people are working today, but uh, we're out here doing this um, on, on MLK Day, speaking of KOLs. So yeah, definitely. Uh, that was so there. a lot of people know about the term influencer marketing, and I think that's a pretty commonly used term nowadays, but not as many people know about KOLs. So for the rest of us out there that don't really know what that is, what exactly is a KOL? Well, by definition, a KOL is a key opinion leader. So we were just talking earlier off record. Is it possible that a KOL is not an influencer? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think it's interesting. I think KOLs are something that a lot of people aren't really aware aware about and they are a little bit different from influencers i think they do some of them have influencer characteristics obviously social media is really big so uh, a lot of people are diversifying where they're putting their time into and some of it is social media for these kols but kols really started without having social media available and so I think you can definitely have a KOL that exists that isn't an influencer, right? Anyone, it's anyone that's an opinion leader on something. So it's someone that's got some sort of mastery or technical expertise in an area that is able to share their opinion and people kind of look towards that person uh, for expert advice. What if I'm the best car mechanic in Austin and I don't have a social media account? I don't even have Instagram, I don't have Facebook, I don't have Twitter, Snapchat, but people just know and have heard around town that I'm the best, you know, Audi mechanic, let's say. Does that make me a KOL? Yeah, I think it definitely does. Uh, I think the prerequisite for it is just really having an engaged audience. And obviously, like before influencers were around, how did people hear about who's the best at something or who's great at something? It was really just through word of mouth and kind of sharing that information. So I don't think being on social media is a prerequisite for being a KOL. You can kind of be an opinion leader without that. I kind of think of, I think the car example you gave was really good. I kind of think of the dentist I go to. So um, it's interesting. I was looking for a dentist in Austin when I first got here and I didn't really know who to go. I asked about like three or four friends and they all ended up recommending the same place. Uh, so I think that just speaks towards what a key opinion leader can do over time and kind of place themselves. I actually think that uh, a, a big difference is probably that a KOL is not looking to make a living out of being a KOL. 
So an influencer is probably trying to make a career out of being an influencer, while a KOL uh, is not because he already is a leader in a specific space or industry, and he already has mastery off that, which is probably where their income comes from. Whereas the influencer is trying to find the angle uh, while monetizing their audience, which probably leads to uh, why key opinion leaders are having such crazy sales conversion rates. It's because they're not probably bombarding their audiences uh, or the people that follow them with uh, promotions and things like that because they only speak to what they know and what they genuinely uh, use or, or, or know about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the same reason that you'd probably go to like a Gordon Ramsay restaurant or something like that. You've heard of him. You know he's a good chef, so he's probably obviously going to have good food at his restaurant. So let's break it down. So uh, KOL, key opinion leader, completely new word, at least here. Apparently, this has uh, taken off in China. Uh, there's some crazy numbers about KOL's performance in China. Uh, what would you say is the main reason why uh, KOLs are so successful in China versus uh, the U.S.? KOLs, I think, are really great in China just because, and that's kind of where the word originated from is in China. And I think they are so important in that thing is because there is a lot of distrust in advertising different products that are available like food products uh regular consumer products uh there's a lot of distrust there there's also an overabundance of products in that market so it's kind of hard to figure out what the right product is who's telling the truth who's not telling the truth and so people are really turning to key opinion leaders in china this has been going on for a while now uh so that influencer marketing space is a little bit more developed than what's going on over here. You know, I was actually watching over the weekend a Netflix documentary on, I think it's one of those like explained uh, Netflix shows that pretty much explains the counter the counterfeit industry of beauty uh, and in China. And it's just so wild how they make beauty products that look exactly the same, like the original products. And yet they're causing people skin diseases and stuff like that that's actually it was it was a pretty awful thing to see but uh the point that i'm trying to drive home is that all this this is so big in china right counterfeit products uh excess of brands in a specific space so consumers have naturally lost the trust to uh the brands that they're purchasing from which leads them leaves them with no other option than to only trust people that they know are experts in a specific space or uh, their specific friends, which is uh, the reason why probably this is so uh, successful in in China. Yeah, I mean, it's become a multi-billion dollar industry over there. And it's pretty crazy how much people look towards these people, these KOLs, to be that source of information, to be that source of truth for them. And it's just pretty crazy what's going on over there obviously we don't see that as much in the u.s but in china the distrust is just so large uh, and there's also a pretty interesting piece the industry is very different over there and especially for social media as well uh, there's a lot of different rules and regulations around there for instance wechat the largest social media platform in china 
doesn't sell information about users to advertisers. So they can't really target specific consumer segments to kind of get their information. So that's kind of why they're turning towards KOLs as well. Yeah, I actually have a statistic here that I found from Forbes that says Chinese superstar Fang Fan Bing Bing has generated 74 million US dollars in e-commerce revenue. Uh, and some of these influencers are actually generating some crazy amount of money in just a live stream, such as this is influencer uh, Zane Dai, who created her own clothing and beauty brand that she sells on Taobao, the platform uh, that's owned by Alibaba. And uh, on Singles Day Shopping Festival, she hid uh 170 million yuan that's 24.8 million dollars that she made just from selling uh streaming in one day it's pretty bizarre i think you know like you said this stuff is just so different over there because of the lack of trust that consumers really really trust key opinion leaders way more than anywhere else and uh there's uh, another one here with a wechat collaboration where Mini Cooper sold a hundred cars in five minutes uh, with a specific influencer who was doing a, a live stream. And this same influencer launched her own clothing brand and it reached a million yuan, so $146,000 of sales in seven minutes of launching. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy numbers. And I think that just speaks to how developed the industry is over there that it's it's become its own behemoth of an industry i mean uh, i think i read somewhere that it was a 17 billion dollar industry in china well you know one of the main differentiators for this as well is also uh how easy it is you know to track the actual conversions probably so wechat is definitely a platform that makes it possible to track this conversion all the way through whereas what you see in united states is that platforms like instagram and so on are catching on to how much money they're leaving on the table by not being the place where the conversion happens that they're kind of making it really hard if not impossible for us to be able to attribute these conversions within the platforms uh, whereas WeChat, you know, you can send people links, you can actually, uh, you know, I've, I don't have WeChat, I've never used it, but in order to be able to track numbers like this, the conversion flow probably has to be uh, really easy to, to, to track. That's so true. And what's really interesting is, I think for people that don't know, in China, there are only three main companies that really control the majority shares in social media, e-commerce, and digital payments. So it's truly a seamless process and you can really track all of those conversions in one place which you can't really do yet over here in the u.s but we are sort of seeing some of that some social media platforms starting to lean into some of that stuff what are some that you think are are doing that and how are they doing it i think instagram is probably the biggest one that everyone thinks of and comes to mind uh if you are not familiar they've obviously introduced a lot of shopping-related features on their platform that makes it easy to purchase products on their platforms. I think Outdoor Voices was one of the first ones that really started taking the lead over there and was part of the beta that was going on at Instagram. So I think that's one of the big things is you're seeing Instagram become more shoppable. I think you're going to start to see other platforms 
kind of follow that lead. They're going to close the loop, I feel like. Uh, it's pretty much inevitable. Uh, there's too much money on the table for them to let other people uh, bank on those conversions. That's where I believe it's going. That's why Trend is also heading in that direction in the sense of just being the place for you to generate that content. So, you know, user-generated content is something you can't really create in-house. The It's self-explanatory user-generated content. So you're going to need more of that needed at scale. And that's that's pretty much the angle we're taking just because of um, from all this research we've, we've been doing and, and all this is pretty self-evident that that's where the market is uh, gearing towards. And, uh, you know, even as, as I mentioned, influencers have launched these brands. Uh, there are these influencer incubators that are coming out of China where they're pretty much incubating influencers into making their own products and uh, fashion brands to, to be able to uh, get a percentage of the sales that they generate from their new brand such an interesting concept yeah it's kind of like what you see in startups over here i mean we're a startup at trend and yeah. so for startups there are accelerator programs for companies but now what china has done is taken that concept and kind of moved it on to influencers where you basically go in they give you all the skills you need to become a great influencer and they kind of put you on that podium so people can come and find you i mean it's crazy. Some of these influencers have really grown in presence because of influencer incubators. I remember reading one about one influencer. I think the name was, uh, she goes by Bibi uh, Zhang Zi, uh, if I'm right, uh, had 300,000 followers before joining an influencer incubator and that they moved to 1 million really quickly after joining and becoming a part of that. That's crazy. I mean, I think the biggest value from one of those things could be uh, rather than, you know, helping these influencers grow their audience, I think what would be really interesting for me is seeing, helping, you know, creators diversify their income and create their own products that probably at value to society in a way that aligns with their audiences and what they're experts at. I'm not a big fan of just adding products, creating products for the sake of it. Uh, there's there's already a lot of that going on, but if it's something that aligns with, uh, you know, what your opinions are about and what you're an expert on, I think there's uh, something there worth pursuing for sure. Uh, so a lot of this is based in, in how the market is in China and what KOLs are in China. What does this mean for like a U.S. on a U.S. perspective? So what does this mean for U.S.? Is KOLs even a thing here? Will we ever even have KOLs? And do we have or are we experiencing, you know, a surplus of products where we really won't be able to trust the brands anymore? I don't think we're there yet. I think the U.S. has a lot of different sorts of regulations in place for products that kind of limit just creating anything and everything. So I think that that's something that's going to limit this. But we do kind of see a little bit of micro KOLs in our space already. Uh, I think a good example that I think of first, uh, obviously there's a lot of good examples on Instagram, a lot of people on there, uh, but also Yelp. Uh, Yelp is really a breeding ground for KOLs, right? You've got 
people that are like elite Yelpers that are posting reviews and people kind of turn to them and they can see, oh, this person's got an elite score. Obviously, they like this place. So I think there's a little bit of that going on, but I don't think it's going to ever be at the scale, at least anytime soon, as what's going on in China. What do you think, Ramon? I'm going to take it a little bit out there. So let's let's just, you know, fast forward to year 2050, 2100. And I think it could be possible that we could look back and people won't believe us that brands used to advertise themselves what they wanted us to buy and we would buy it. Like that idea to me seems kind of silly and biased that a brand is literally telling you, hey, buy this, buy our product. And we just trusted that when it clearly is a really biased opinion, you know? Yeah. So, um, hey, maybe I, I see a world in the future in which brands don't no longer tell us what we're going to buy. People tell us what we're going to buy or our own experiences or a circle of influence tells us what to buy. I think what's super interesting that you brought up in a point over there is obviously in China, what's going on is there's an overabundance of products, which is kind of leading to a little bit of people don't know what to figure out. And so in China, KOLs are trying to cut through all of that noise. Uh, but with these new influencer incubators, do you think that it's possible that you might have an overabundance <laughs> of influencers? <laughs> You know, that anything is possible. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, you have an overabundance of influences and an overabundance of products. So um, then you have uh, the Maybe market crash. It'll so. be on the pets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the pets? Yeah, on the pet, pets next. <laughs> pet influencers? Yeah. Um, you know, I really do think that we're kind of experiencing a little bit of that right now. Uh, but and I've actually been asked uh, this by brands before, but the market uh, regulates itself and settles itself out. So uh, people that are actually, you know, being an influencer, promoting every product that comes across their face every single day, eventually lose authenticity and trust. So their career will not be sustainable. Uh, and those that take their career super seriously uh, will actually, uh, you know, promote only things that align with them. So at the end of the day, the market will regulate and take care of itself. People that aren't trustworthy are not going to be able to make a career. People that take their career seriously and actually want to make a career out of being a creator will be very selective of what they choose to promote. I think it's like with everything else, there, there always is the, the, the people that try to like mess up an industry or, or, or saturated, uh, but the people that perform in high quality uh, and are taken seriously are able to maintain their rates uh, because of that. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. So, you know, you have me thinking on that influencer incubator thing. I think that's something worth diving deeper into. Uh, I wonder if, if any of our influencers are actually already creating their own products, if they're going through this process or if they have already gone through this process and they already have products and they're already selling products. If you are, I would love for you to send us an email. Uh, send me an email to ramon at trend.io or go in a live chat, hit us up. 
I'd love to hear more about this. I think we could actually uh, help some people that are currently going through this and, and it would be something definitely worth uh, exploring. Yeah, well, I think this puts an end to today's episode. Thank you, Jay, for the time. This was a, a great time. I look forward to episode three. This was uh, episode two here. So I hope you all have a great day. Jay, if you have any words out. Yeah, everyone have a great MLK day. Uh, and we look forward to episode three next time on The Trend. Yeah, have a good one. Thank you.